Hello, listener. Welcome to Cryptic Chronicles, a show dedicated to exploring everything fringe, cryptic, and weird in the world. Today on the show, we're going to explore the notorious Philadelphia experiment requested by a listener named Tiana. And this episode is dedicated to her. So let's see just how weird this rabbit hole gets because I assure you, we're gonna get pretty weird. The experiment, also known as Project Rainbow, revolves around secret government experiments, time travel, aliens, interdimensional technology, and a conspiracy theory that will just not die, no matter how hard skeptics try to kill it. And it all leads to other famous secret government programs like Project Montauk and even MKUltra. So this story's roots go pretty deep. The majority of sources concerning the Philadelphia experiment are pretty dated. I mean, the original researchers are pretty much all dead, as far as I could find. But my sources are pretty legitimate, such as the legendary Gray Barker in his book, The Ghosts of the Philadelphia Experiment, but also The Philadelphia Experiment, Project Invisibility by William L. Moore, The Philadelphia Experiment, Revelations by Timothy Green Beckley, And of course, just like random internet searches and stuff like that. But all links to my sources will be in the show notes. So let's get into it, shall we? I'm your host, Tim Hacker, and you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. On October 28, 1943, allegedly one of the weirdest experiments in science took place, the Philadelphia Experiment, also known as Project Rainbow, which would send innocent American sailors into a maelstrom of madness. It's also associated with the Montauk Project, which is what the TV show Stranger Things is loosely based on, that supposedly actually took place in the real world. Stranger Things is awesome. Though I kind of lost interest after season one because the show just kind of sucked after that for me. Didn't have the same mojo, I guess. But the first season was great, and I highly recommend you watch it. However, the Montauk Project conspiracy theory didn't really get going until around the early 90s, but it's said to be linked to the Philadelphia experiment that took place all the way back in the 40s. I should also quickly inject that one book that I read on the experiment says that it took place in 1942 and not 1943, but there are many contradictions when um, I was researching this, so just know that there are different ways to look at all this. Also, with all these supposed secret government conspiracies, I mean, come on. The misinformation is going to be insane across the board. Moreover, all these clandestine projects are said to have led to MKUltra experiments, which was a real thing that is not a conspiracy. 
So we're going to be digging into some pretty interesting stuff here. It's all a psychedelic fever dream of high strangeness. And while some believe the ends justify the means, and in times of peril, sacrifices must be made, the morality of the experiments is morally bankrupt to the extreme. Depending on where you fall on that scale, you may be more likely to agree such clandestine behavior happened and still happens to this day. After all, some people argue that MKUltra is a made-up conspiracy theory in our modern times, despite objectively factual evidence to back it up that was actually released by our own government through the Freedom of Information Act. So they can argue that the sun is purple all they want, but it's still yellow. But back in... 1943, the world stage was an entirely different game than our modern one. It isn't even comparable in the slightest. During this time, World War II was at its height, and the need to gain the advantage over Axis powers was paramount to bringing peace to the world as quickly as possible. Millions had already perished. Unprecedented destruction was commonplace, and everyone who crossed the board was suffering greatly. I mean, this world war basically destroyed the Age of Empires, put it to an end. The Allies wanted it all to be over as soon as possible. The U.S. may have been mostly unscathed from the conflict, at least on the home turf, I mean, but Europe itself was in flames. This expediency influenced scientists in America to throw out orthodoxy and delve into the stranger side of science. Although there's no evidence to back it up, so take the involvement of these two with a massive grain of salt, but two extremely famous scientists in particular are traditionally linked to the Philadelphia experiment. Nikola Tesla, the legendary genius inventor, and the renowned physicist Albert Einstein are allegedly said to have both worked on the project together. And they did this at the Philadelphia Naval Yard to create an artificial electromagnetic cloaking to enemy radar for battleships, or just ships in general. Although traditionally this experiment supposedly took place in the Philadelphia Naval Yard, the experiment is also said to have taken place at sea, and on one account in full view of the merchant marine ship SS Andrew Furuseth, as well as other observation ships. The SS Andrew is important because one of its crewmen is the source of most of the original material making up the experiment's lore, Carlos Miguel Alande, also known as... Carl Michael Allen, and he wrote a series of cryptic letters to one Dr. Morris K. Jessup in the 1950s, in which he claims to have witnessed at least one of the several phases of the Philadelphia experiment and talks about them in detail. So like much fringe knowledge, there's different ways to look at this topic, and I personally don't find any superior to any others. For example, the purpose of the electromagnetic generators. Some say that the field generated was also meant to protect the vessel from enemy projectiles or underwater mines, which would make sense concerning Tesla, but this is secondary information. That's literally got no evidence to back it up. Sadly, Tesla is said to have perished before the experiments were complete, but the military had enough to begin conducting experiments especially since the government raided his house and stole all of his documents there. It's a good thing that Tesla was such a genius that all of his most important information about his experiments was literally kept all in his head. Otherwise, who knows what kind of crazy damage 
it could have caused the government getting their hands on all that stuff. But Tesla had a rocky relationship with governments and the U.S. government in particular for basically his whole career. The 1% really had it out for him because he invented things like free energy for everyone that was pulled right out of thin air and uh, then it being silenced because obviously the technology didn't really create any profit and the mega corporations of the time couldn't have that, now can they? They need control and money and profit. Kind of sucks because it could have had free energy for everybody in the entire world and who knows how much more advanced we'd be right now if Tesla wasn't oppressed, but that's a tale for another time. I'm getting kind of off topic. Um, if this association of Tesla and Einstein to the Philadelphia experiment is true, then they had the greatest minds of the era at their service. Whatever the two began, Einstein helped finish. Depending on who you ask, these experiments had results of profound magnitude that could never have been predicted. The USS Navy destroyer Eldridge was fitted with prototype electromagnetic field generators and Tesla coils, which did far more than hide the vessel from enemy radar. And the, the theories that allowed the, this experiment to become a reality were based off of Albert Einstein's, who's easily one of the greatest minds that the human race has ever produced and is famous for his revolutionary scientific theories concerning the nature of space-time and physics. Theories that were questioned, but later proven true, all the way up until modern times. The experiment was based on Einstein's unified field theory, which ties all phenomena within the universe to matter and energy. Many geniuses have titled this theory, the theory of everything. It's interesting to note that many have claimed that Einstein backed off or slowed down or heavily altered this theory later in life and when it was first being produced, for, of all things, humanitarian reasons. Now, just why would someone stop scientific study for humanitarian reasons, especially when it's just a theory? Well, there's no evidence for any of this, but it's said he backed off the theory because humanity was not ready for it. This is an interesting approach because it means Einstein was trying to protect us from ourselves, so it's possible that Albert Einstein left out critical parts of his unified field theory on purpose, which is baffling to think about, but you'll understand why he might do so when we get deeper into the Philadelphia experiment. Supposedly, he backed off on it all because he figured that humans weren't ready for it because we were too, our egos weren't ready for it. The truth would just destroy our paradigm, I guess. Anyway, the results of these two unrivaled scientific minds led to one of the most disturbing military legends in history. This infamous World War II conspiracy theory has caused the mainstream herd a lot of frustration. There are tons of, you know, quote-unquote experts who debunk it, as the powers that be always do when someone or something goes against the narrative. But if we know anything about history, we know that the establishment cover-ups and lies are endless. And the world they present to the masses is basically smoke and mirrors. People in power don't care about anything but maintaining and gaining more power. So though we will most likely never see the truth concerning the Philadelphia experiment, there is so little objective evidence to support its legitimacy 
it's pretty possible the experiment never took place at all. However, there is enough information to raise some eyebrows and not rule out the possibility that all this could have indeed happened. So I'm not trying to ask you to believe in it or to not believe in it. As one of the most intelligent people in history once said, the sign of an educated mind is the ability to entertain ideas without accepting them or denying them. Also, someone saying debunked or has been debunked or whatever doesn't really mean anything if it's in the mainstream because debunked is just code word for a successful cover-up a lot of times. So don't let yourself be fooled by mainstream wankery, but also keep the batteries in your bullshit detector fully charged. Okay, so now with all that out of the way, let's uh, start getting into the nitty gritty. Back in 1943, it was time to test this new electromagnetic technology on that fateful day during the war. For some reason, the experiment was conducted with a whole crew, which would be harrowing for all involved, to say the least. When the prototypes were activated, alleged witnesses claimed an otherworldly glow of green-blue surrounded the destroyer's hull in the shipyard. Essentially, the field enabled light to twist around the ship throughout space-time, but didn't really result in what scientists anticipated. Instead of creating a veil of invisibility against radar, a doorway to the quantum reality opened. Now, concerning the crew, they were the crew was most likely not warned about what the risks were in the experiment. I mean, they had an idea of what they were working with. Obviously, they had to, you know, mess with all the gear, but were only given basic knowledge on how everything was going to go down. Obviously, they were handpicked, most likely, and were trained and drilled on how everything worked and like they had some vague idea of what might happen type of advice, but they had no idea what they were getting into and not a single one of them would walk away unscathed. Some would spend the rest of their lives locked up in a, a completely insane state. Two men in particular were just never seen again. They straight up vanished and were unaccounted for. So let's just say that the military was playing fast and loose with these men's lives. What else is new? Soldiers have always been guinea pigs for the government. I mean, just look at the soldiers during Vietnam or the 70s in general, where soldiers are forced to take experimental drugs and then told not to have kids for five years because they'd be mutants. Or, you know, exposing them to chemicals. They have no idea a human body will react to and whatnot. It's really hard not to respect the US military considering all that they've risked and been put through then treated like crap over the decades when they come home. So I have no doubt that the military and the Navy in specifically, you know, would perform experiments like these without hesitation with a little regard to how it affected the crew. Completely believable. Massive respect for all veterans. But now let's go into the description of the event, shall we? The first test did little but make the crew sick to their stomachs and dizzy for a while, but otherwise healthy and in a normal state once more after a short amount of time. However, the strange light that had engulfed the ship had been seen up to a mile away, or many miles depending on the witness, which was the opposite of stealth, and kind of discouraged the military officers in charge of the operation. Not to mention the crew were pretty freaked out by the otherworldly light, and beginning to sweat concerning the experiment they'd been assigned to perform in. Not a single one of them was prepared for what happened next though. 
The second attempt was much more dramatic. As the generators hummed into action, the greenish-blue light once again surrounded the ship in an energetic aura with bluish lightning erupting in all directions chaotically. Then right there in the middle of the shipyard in front of many witnesses, the USS Eldridge vanished from sight. However, it did not only go invisible to radar, as was the goal, but also went invisible to ordinary view and then left its current place in space-time altogether, basically disappearing or teleporting. According to witnesses, a faint outline of the ship was still visible momentarily before it also faded from sight. In the three books that I read on this topic, there are slight differences in the description depending on the source, but my description sums it up nicely across the board, I think. And it's what the crew experienced in the transition that's truly bizarre. They entered some kind of maelstrom, some kind of vortex, like another dimension. This world between worlds also has different descriptions, but overall is consistent in theme. Many were trapped in separate shards of fractal perception, and mere moments seemed like an eternity. Time itself ceased to be linear, and the horrific reality of what they'd walked into became apparent for everybody involved. All of them were permanently changed by the electromagnetic field and had their minds altered as well as their bodies. In modern times, we know that electromagnetic energy can have a massive influence on the mind in many ways, but they didn't know that, or they didn't know a lot back in the 40s, but they had no idea any of that kind of stuff was bad. The crew was completely unprotected for it. It was like walking into nuclear fallout without a hazard suit. As a, That's a bad analogy, actually, because it wasn't nearly as deadly, but it was. they weren't prepared for it physically or mentally. And everyone aboard panicked and was consumed in confusion with no one knowing what to do. Many of the crew were displaced and out of touch with tangible reality, but some of them regained their wits and went about shutting off all the prototype technology. But there was a decent amount of time spent in this other world, this world between worlds, before, before they got around to actually shutting the machinery off. Some crew got so freaked out that they just jumped overboard into the vortex. Two vanished altogether, like I already stated, but most were in a state of severe mental stress and could hardly contain themselves or do anything. Some later time loops with the Montauk project are said to originate here, and even some instances of supposed displacement of consciousness with other people's minds. In the chaos that transpired, it was clear that the laws of physics, or the laws of reality for that matter, meant nothing there. Years later, a couple of survivors allegedly claimed that there was a connection to UFOs in the Philadelphia experiment, and that they actually encountered aliens in this other world. This was at a time when there was actually little to no UFO activity in America. Don't get me wrong though, I'm not saying that UFOs didn't appear prior to this at all, just that their sightings and, and people reporting abductions increased after this event. In fact, like the high number of UFO sightings in America seemingly pick up right after the Philadelphia experiment on the timeline, and the crew of the ship, well, according to some at least, interacted with aliens while in transportation outside of space-time. Some researchers say that this experiment opened up a doorway for them to come through somehow. Or at least, this is the instance that really caught the attention of extraterrestrials in our galaxy and brought their focus to Earth. 
putting humanity on the cosmic radar because of this experiment, which gained interest from our neighbors. But if they did meet ETs in this alternate dimension, it's no wonder this information has been so suppressed and attacked in mainstream media throughout the decades. In any case, though, the nature of this out of sync or other dimension sounds pretty freaky from all accounts and kind of reminds me of the movie Event Horizon. If you haven't seen Event Horizon, you need to see Event Horizon. And we'll get right back to talking about this world between worlds and its bizarre influence on these unfortunate enlisted sailors. After a quick break, you're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. <laughs> Do you like food? Do you not like going places? Do you like staying home and having food brought to you? Well, you're in luck, because a thing called Blue Apron exists. With multiple pricing, there's a way to get the gourmet delicious meals under any budget. And it's totally worth it. Cryptic Chronicles would not promote Blue Apron unless it knew how good it is for you. With all the junk and everything these days, the majority of people sustain themselves on poison and don't even know it. A healthy spirit, mind, and body requires a healthy lifestyle and the ability to take care of yourself, and feed your body all the nutrients it needs to function at its best in our highly demanding lives. You get to choose your own meals. The chef-designed recipes include balanced Mediterranean delicacies, quick one-pan dinners, and top-rated customer favorites. Unpack your home-delivered box with enthusiasm because there's a guarantee on freshness and the highest quality of all Blue Apron products and ingredients. Create magic following our step-by-step -step instructions, you'll experience the magic of cooking recipes that the master Blue Apron chefs created with your family's tastes in mind. With step-by-step -step instructions, so you never miss a beat and have to get frustrated about making the meal. I know I do that. At least, when I'm not eating a delicious Blue Apron meal that is responsibly sourced quality ingredients like fresh produce sustainable seafood and exclusive spice blends means you're going to have a meal that's stopped here over the common fast food garbage most people eat and blue apron cares about the environment which is another reason i love them so much with recyclable ice packs and packaging to ensure your ingredients stay fresh until you're home and ready and easily disposable for the health of mother earth do yourself a favor and take care of your body and mind the way nature intended it with a healthy meal that's also gloriously delicious with Blue Apron, the yummy goodness is dropped off right to your very doorstep. So if you like food, and you like not going places, then why not try Blue Apron, and give your mind a rest from going to crowded grocery stores, and writing a list of stuff to get, only to forget half. $30 off weed with code PODCAST? Did someone say $30 off weed with code PODCAST? Amuse delivers over 500 high-quality cannabis products from the Bay Area brands you love at everyday low prices. You can also rest assured that everything will be up to your high standards. So what are you waiting for? Start shopping now at Amuse.com. Use promo code PODCAST to save $30 off your next order. That's A-M-U-S-E.com. The next part of the lore seems odd to me. I feel like something is missing because it insinuates to me that this dematerialization of the ship could quite possibly have been intentional or even guided in some way. Still, I back that up with nothing but critical thought because of all places to reappear, why would the ship materialize at another Navy shipyard of all places? 
I mean, what are the odds of that, right? Unless it uh, was somehow intentional. The odds are like one in a bazillion. The ship could have easily and more likely just materialized under the ocean in the Earth's crust or something like that. And I don't know. I could just be missing something. This information is pretty dense to research. Anyway, in Norfolk Naval Shipyard in Virginia, the ship materialized in a flash, splashing water in an eruption around the vessel as it swayed oddly in many directions with unnatural speed. And just as fast as it had appeared, the destroyer vanished once again, with seawater collapsing into the empty space violently. A sailor said that he'd encountered alien creatures with large heads during this event, and all of a sudden, Norfolk looked different, as in just wrong and off, like it wasn't the Norfolk Naval Shipyard of Virginia anymore. And just before the ship manifested, witnesses claimed that MPs had raided the shipyard and quarantined most people away from the area, other than a few who kept out of sight and saw the ship appear and then vanish. This information is secondhand, though, but um, there could be some legitimacy to it, if any of this is true, that is. But I guess the, the military was on damage control ahead of time and knew exactly where the ship was going to teleport, at least according to this narrative. But it, it makes one think that they knew much more than they let on, the military. And the Eldridge manifested once more hours later in the Philadelphia shipyard to reveal a morbid scene of nightmarish proportions. Also, when doing a head count, it was apparent not everyone was accounted for, and a handful of crew were obviously dead. Some of the crew were embedded in the ship's hull, with arms, heads, and torsos protruding lifelessly. Some had fallen through floors in the ship, with half their bodies gone, or splayed out in pieces. A couple of the crew were inside out, and their internal organs cascading around their pink, motionless mound of flesh. Those that had survived were nauseated, just like the first test, but... Some were now insane or had anomalous burns on their skin. The survivors described an otherworldly vortex, and there is speculation that the men who jumped overboard are still out there somewhere, trapped in some kind of time vortex that most likely is an existence worse than hell, according to theoretical physicists. It's quite possible to quantum physicists that they may someday reappear, but just what reappears will most likely not be the men who jumped off the ship back in the 40s. And that's if they are even capable of coherent thought. I mean, how would you feel if you lived in another dimension, unable to die or change or change anything around you for who knows how long? Not to mention the possible brain damage. It's basically living in an eternal nightmare you can never wake up from, and that's quite horrifying. The few survivors who'd maintained their sanity, well, none of them really maintained it, but could at least function, I guess, would uh, quickly be put into quarantine. But not before hastily barging into a nearby bar and getting as drunk as possible as fast as possible. According to witness accounts, they really freaked out the patronage that were already there drinking and told the bartenders stories that they uh, obviously found incredibly disturbing. I think this would be how most of us would react in such a situation to ease the trauma, just get lost in the booze. But the military didn't appreciate it because this was all top secret. Anyway, the paranoid crew members dispersed any doubt of their unbelievable tale immediately 
because of their erratic behavior. But after a bit, clandestine forces rounded up the survivors and took them to Looney Tunes land. Well, not really, but at least to the public eye. To the public eye, they were just being taken away because they needed to go to the insane asylum because they were insane or, or whatever. But this is actually a smart move that the government has always done. It makes the person look like they are a crazy person. And whoever's been in a crazy person facility, whoever's been in a, they don't call them insane asylums in modern times, but you get my point. Whoever's been there, you can pretty much decredit them, whatever they say. You know, like who the hell would believe someone like that kind of a thing which is actually a common tactic used by governments across the world to cover up top secret stuff. And you may be wondering, well, why don't they just kill them? That would be even more efficient, but it's actually more useful to keep such people alive and let them free range in the general population as a form of self-policing. Anything they're really trying to hide comes off as illegitimate because of the source, no matter how objectively factual the information that they're saying truly is. That's just PSYOPs 101, and a pretty potent tool used by governments across the globe in their mainstream media. You'd be surprised just how much UFO lore was introduced into ufology from uh, the FBI and uh, agents of uh, the CIA who just pretend to be contactees or abductees and infiltrate these organizations to spread misinformation. This is objectively factual. I've talked about it on the show before that these people have even come out and it's proven that they were from these organizations or they were from the, the Air Force and whatnot. And they did do these things. I mean, I've talked about it before on the show. Like, uh, there's been many of these agents that have gone on record about this stuff. The trick is fitting in just the right amount of truth with the bullshit to push certain narratives and actions to make anyone else on the outside instantly think it's all bullshit. And that little tiny sliver of truth will always remain hidden. So there's always been people running around, writing books, creating clubs and groups and conventions and whatnot that the entire time have just been pushing propaganda from higher sources and uh, secret agents, quote unquote, without anyone else in the organizations ever realizing it. And then they add to this misinformation and go off of it and spread it. They think that they're leakers of truth or truth hunters and stuff like that. But in reality, they're kind of being manipulated, which is nothing new. So even if there's any truth to this kind of stuff or whatever, it's imperative to take everything with a grain of salt. Becoming a dogmatic UFO cultist only aids the powers that be in an ironic twist. In any case, the survivors of the Philadelphia experiment were locked away from the public eye for some time for quote-unquote treatment. There was no way in hell that anyone was cleanly walking away from this. Not one single person, not one single witness, civilian or otherwise. Any witness the military could find was snatched up by clandestine military squads and even some accounts of, guess what, men in black. Every survivor who came forward years later claimed that they were victims of heavy brainwashing to forget what they saw. A man named Al Bellick became one of these alleged survivors after a 
He was basically just watching a movie that Hollywood made on the Philadelphia experiment when all of a sudden all these repressed memories started popping into his head. However, he was just one of many who claimed to regain these lost memories over the years. These lost memories of this pretty messed up experiment. And these suppressed memories showed Belloc that actually don't know how to pronounce his name. I assume it's Belloc. But um, these suppressed memories showed Belloc that he'd lost everything. His identity, family, and his entire prior life. The memories he'd been living with were false. And he claimed that he was a victim of the government who treated him horrifically unethically. And in trying to seek justice, he couldn't really go he couldn't like really do anything or go anywhere with it because obviously there's uh, <laughs> gaining evidence for secret government programs is nearly impossible. So any even Freedom of Information Act type stuff wouldn't even work in modern times on this kind of top secret information. But this is kind of a double-edged sword too at the same time because if there's no evidence to back this stuff up in an objective way, then... Any so-called witness account should be balanced with skepticism. That doesn't mean it didn't happen, though. In the interviews of survivors, a story of unreal magnitude formed, such as accounts of underground bases, another thing I've talked about before, as well as ET agendas and mind control, people switching bodies, ritual sex slave practices, higher dimensions, teleportation, in time travel. One sailor jumped off the ship during the activation of the electromagnetic generators and appeared in 1983. In other interviews, it stated that survivors had difficulty not vanishing again, pretty much in the same way that they did during the experiment, and is, of course, all against their will. They don't have control over it. Or actually, no, that's not entirely accurate. I've read, I got three books on this, topic and there's one one of the books says that they could actually in the other world the world between worlds control the density of their bodies which is pretty bizarre but easily the most fascinating and exciting claim out of all this was that uh, the experiment discovered something called space-time compression technology Essentially, a technology that creates wormholes in which travel across the planet is possible instantaneously. Teleportation. However, not just the planet, but in theory, the whole universe as well. The electromagnetic generators were capable of interstellar transportation. Many question why there are no aliens in our galaxy that we can interact with, because... According to the Fermi Paradox, we should literally be surrounded in like a bustling, hustling and bustling galactic community. I mean, mathematically, that's what should be going on. Others have stated, which is true, that even faster than light travel is slow when traveling the cosmos. And humans would die of old age long before making any real progress. But with the discovery of space-time compression technology... We got the attention of aliens in our galaxy because that's how they travel the universe in the first place. They don't literally journey through space in spaceships like in Star Trek or Star Wars and stuff like that. They don't actually... Well, I mean, and when they're doing... Obviously, when they're in their own solar systems and whatnot, they can go from place to place. But when they're doing real space travel, 
It's through this same kind of instantaneous wormhole transportation technology that they keep within their UFOs. Which, I mean, come on. If there's any sliver of truth to any of that, that's really cool. But, um, according to this lore, Einstein's general relativity theory is 100% correct, and separation in space-time, merely an illusion, though a persistent one. But if this technology exists today, then what could that even mean? I mean, there's no way experiments stopped concerning the breakthroughs that, uh, they got in the Philadelphia experiment. It all went down way better than the Navy could have ever imagined. And since that was so many years ago, they could have perfected the invisibility aspect of the tech and all the other factors concerning it. And in a way, the Philadelphia experiment was a success because if you think about the stealth bomber, which people have often in the past mistaken for a UFO, that thing was secret for years and years, even though it was in use. Nobody knew about it. It does the exact same thing that the supposed original intention for the experiment was. It hides the craft, making it invisible to enemy radar. So all in all, it was a success, I guess, in that aspect. But this vast achievement in technology, as well as the atomic bomb, pretty much both are capable of a 100% paradigm shift in the way humanity sees the world. And in the context of the atomic bomb, a lot of abductees claim aliens talk about them in abductions saying we need to get rid of our nukes. I mean, it's pretty much uh, cliche at this point. There are countless abduction accounts of people saying the aliens have come to save us from ourselves concerning the nuclear stuff. A lot of it's uh, hippity-dippity. And you know me, I don't like to get too woo-woo just once in a while. But there's enough documentation to have some weight on the topic. So, from this perspective, the Philadelphia experiment and the atom bomb are what got the interest of aliens in Earth. And with the attention of alien races drawn towards Earth, it was from this point on that UFOs would increase in sightings. And allegedly a US president even made a deal with aliens in exchange for technology, which I've talked about before on the show, so I'm not going to get too into. But it is true that humanity has technologically advanced more in the past 50 years than the past 500. And theorists point towards this deal with the ETs as the source of our technological boon. In exchange, the aliens were granted several approved abductions of US citizens. And all this while humanity remained in the dark. For their own protection, of course. <clears throat> Excuse me. However, one of the first things I thought, at least, in my early research of this topic. What did the sailors experience when they were in transit between material matter? Some claimed to have been frozen in time for months, being the only one able to function normally while the world around them was still and unmovable. A foggy cloud-like material surrounding the destroyer has been described, and compasses were spinning similar to Bermuda Triangle accounts. And if you think of interdimensional travel or like hyperspace in fiction, the surrounding view of the ship looked kind of like that in many of the people's accounts, though sometimes different. And a few even reported of entities in this world between worlds. But there were a decent amount of side effects from dimensional travel that are horrific and have been documented. 
So not were they only unprepared for what they saw in this other world, but they were just also unprepared for their own protection. Survivors have been known to go into three different stages, going blank, getting stuck, and freezing. And bizarrely, the only way to cure a couple of these states when a victim falls into them is to touch them, to straight up lay your physical hands on them, and the more hands the better. Somehow that stabilizes them back to our physical 3D plane of reality. If you think about the laying on hands from religious stuff, looks exactly like that. However, this can actually backfire too because allegedly one of the victims who was carrying too much metal on them caused them and the people laying hands on them to straight up burst into flames. But not just any normal burning alive, but burning alive outside of normal space-time. Which is a slow process that actually took up to 18 days of excruciating pain. And this carrying too much metal on them uh, was also explained as the reason why some of these people had anomalous burns during the Philadelphia experiment. But when they're in the state of their materialization or in the state of the freeze or getting stuck, this anomalous burning increases a hundred times over if one of the survivors is destabilizing or one of the lost sailors rematerializing that were lost in the experiment. It takes anyone touching them with them in flames Pretty freaky, right? How would you like to be on fire for 18 days and not be able to die? The freeze is probably the worst one out of the three. And if you're ever traveling around Philadelphia or Virginia Naval Yard and happen to come across one of these survivors rematerializing or a group of people putting their hands on something that's invisible, then go run over and put your hands on them, whatever they're putting their hands on too, but just hope that you don't burst into flames. That only happens sometimes. But these people are the most desperate people in the history of existence and trapped in an interdimensional purgatory nightmare. These people are caught in the freeze. They're out of sync with time and reason, and this state is madness-inducing, like that of the things in the Cthulhu mythos. I don't think any of the survivors are still alive in modern times. But there are still those that vanished during the experiment or jumped off the ship, jumped overboard during the interdimensional transit. And these sailors could absolutely still be in the freeze if they ever materialize. They can essentially pop in and out forever if they're never knocked out of it. But then again, they're most likely crazy. But researchers say that this happened, the freeze happens, because they seem to carry around a part of the hyperfield from the experiment with them the rest of their lives. So even people who survived afterwards could still be in the freeze, but they're pretty much all dead now. What I'm basically just saying is that throughout their life, they could have possibly gone into the freeze as part of the side effects. It's not just the people who were lost in space-time. But one of the main things that happens to somebody within the freeze is they lose the ability to perceive time normally. And this is basically a million times worse than solitary confinement torture that we know of in prisons. Victims have described this experience as being stuck in a nightmarish netherworld. And you have to have the strongest will and the most iron 
clad in her resources to survive that without going crazy. But you know what? I got an issue. My coffee cup is empty. So we'll be right back and go over the other side effects after a quick break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Cryptic Chronicles. Thanks for listening to Cryptic Chronicles. The show is sponsored by Blueberry, and if you're interested in starting your own podcast, use our link. We'll even give your podcast a shout out. Go to crypticchroniclespodcast.com and click on the Blueberry link on the homepage. By doing so, you'll be helping the show. Blueberry is optimized for iTunes as well as all podcast hubs. You won't have to worry about expensive contracts or fees. In fact, you won't have to leave your own website. You'll have your own RSS feed and no third-party sites. Try it for a month free by going through Cryptic Chronicles. Also, if you're a fan of cryptic content, please support the show on Patreon. By giving just $1 a month, you can really assist us in posting more content frequently. You'll also have access to bonus ad-free episodes of the show and the Discord channel. To keep up with all Cryptic Chronicles content, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and of course, Facebook. Give the Facebook page a like and join the Cryptic Chronicles group. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for supporting the show. For most of all, thanks for listening. All right, the second side effect is called getting stuck. It's actually the precursor to the freeze. Survivors have described getting stuck as the embodiment of hell itself. In this state, one can't move on their own, and if they don't have any human contact soon, then they go into the freeze. The state that causes them to go out of sync with our space-time and go invisible once again. So if in the getting stuck state, then going into the freeze can be avoided with quick action. But if a victim was going into the freeze, then their position needed to be recorded accurately because they'd eventually manifest again here and there at the same spot and could be brought back through others laying hands on them. So back while these survivors were still alive, if anyone did start to disappear or walk through a wall, or fall through a floor or something like that, then if there was anybody around in the know, usually there would be because they kind of associated with each other or people who knew about their issues, that uh, location would be documented and watched. 
But if the getting in the stuck state is... I mean, if they do... Uh, if people run up, put their hands on them, give them their own bodily electromagnetic energy, it does stabilize them. And going blank is the precursor to the getting stuck state. Going blank is easily the the least horrific of the three side effects. It seems to be the least horrible. But that ain't no walk in the park either. Have you ever just spaced out so much that your consciousness becomes fractal? I know I have. People got to remind me when I'm, what we're talking about, what I was doing, what was going on. Then again, I got a good imagination that it kind of takes over sometimes. But this is an after effect from being within the electromagnetic field too much, which is basically any amount of time whatsoever. It's not dangerous, just basically what you imagine. Have you ever had sleep paralysis? Well, just think about that, but worse. Because just like a semi-aware dream state, the mind is expanded beyond the mundane. If you've ever hallucinated frightening things during sleep paralysis, I know I have, then you got a good idea of what's going down with the blank state. But just like sleep paralysis, there's the alternative view that one is seeing not a hallucination, but what's actually really there. However, we're just unable to see it in our everyday awareness. The veil keeps us blinded from seeing these things in a in the semi-separate dimension, but the same place in space-time. So as you can see, there's no shortage of lore to dig up concerning the USS Eldridge DE-173 and its journey through another dimension. If you're familiar with Warhammer 40k, easily my favorite sci-fi franchise ever, then this stuff may seem similar to traveling through the warp, which is an alternate dimension where space-time coherency doesn't exist, and you can travel from one point of the galaxy to another through warp points, complete with eldritch abominations being the local wildlife of the dimension. People lost in the warp sometimes pop out many thousands of years later with no time having occurred to pass for them, or time having passed for them extremely slowly. Meaning there's people in the 40k universe that are like 10,000 years old that are still functional, like they haven't aged as much as that 10,000 years should have aged them. And as I said earlier, this, I think I said it earlier, but this stuff kind of reminds me of the movie Event Horizon. However, I think that the crew of that ship had it way worse because they all died in demonic space torture orgies, which is not a good way to go. Luckily, they didn't have to deal with a real-world Slanesh, the chaos god of debauchery, excess, sensory stimulation, pleasure, and pain from the 40k universe. But I digress. Um, there's also the, the similarities to the Bermuda Triangle, as well as anomalous things happening in any of the vile vortices across the planet, you know, such as the spinning compass phenomenon that they have in common. People don't really talk about it, but there are still disappearances going on till the present day concerning the Bermuda Triangle. And not in small numbers either. I've covered the vile vortices before on the show. It's some of my earliest content, and uh, the triangle is probably the most famous of them all, hands down. A Scottish biologist by the name of Ivan Terence Sanderson was the first to coin the term the vile vortices. 
Sanderson concluded that there were 12 of such locations across the world, with the Bermuda Triangle being the one most associated with high strangeness and the paranormal. But they all have it. Unexplainable phenomena has happened within these anomalous locations throughout recorded history and have generated countless legends across the planet. While most of these vile vortices are at sea, there are actually a decent amount found on land too. All of these locations have hosted a myriad of vanishings. Some have speculated with quite the imagination on these mysterious places, the vortices being gateways to other dimensions or the locations of hidden extraterrestrial bases on Earth. Others take a more mundane approach, claiming the vortices to be locations of dense electromagnetic energy and even hotspots upon the planet's ley lines. The only objectivity on the subject is that they remain unexplained to this very day, although you'll always have some shill saying that they're explained. And a lot of weird stuff that happens in the vile vortices seems similar in nature to the dimension the ship in the Philadelphia experiments was, uh, was transported through, I guess. And who knows, alien stuff could totally be involved too, and all of the theories could be true as like a compilation. For a while, one ship a week and one plane every two weeks were consistently getting lost in the Bermuda Triangle which went on for a long time and is some pretty ridiculous statistics. Back in the day when the vanishings were so high, a lot of people tried to blame the vanishings on Castro and the communists in Cuba, which kind of makes sense, I guess, but it doesn't explain the plethora of people who vanished in the triangle before communism even took over the island. And communists aren't really known for having high-tech quality gear. In fact, they're known for the opposite. So it's unlikely they had the means to produce ships and planes capable of swooping up all the missing people. It's just not an easy story to buy into when you look at all the facts. It's pretty objective that people vanish in the triangle alone without any intervention. Well, I mean, unless you think there are aliens in a, a base or something at the bottom of the sea in the triangle, that is. A lot of people do think that. They're... There are absolutely some credible mainstream explanations though, don't get me wrong, I'm not just trying to throw it all out the window. Because the electromagnetic activity in the triangle is an anomaly all in itself, and it's an actual thing that's proven to happen. But concerning the Philadelphia experiment, it's allegedly electromagnetic Tesla technology that enabled this dimensional travel, utilizing uh, Einstein's theory that is. but. Uh, some of the witnesses concerning vanishings in the triangle do have stories that seem similar to the ship in Project Rainbow, the Philadelphia experiment. A famous vanishing was a plane that was so close to Miami that the pilot was talking to the tower control, literally as he vanished. His last words were, a cloud, and passing into another dimension before the radio cut out and the plane was never heard from or seen again. This happens to military planes too. Tons of planes have and still go missing in the triangle. In fact, oddly, every single time a new type of plane flies through the triangle, one of them goes missing. They usually go in squadrons. Older types and non-military ones go missing too, but with this consistent loss of new types of planes, 
Some think that it's an enemy swooping up on our technology to see what we're working with for military purposes, which makes sense, but I think the similarities between the Philadelphia experiment and Bermuda Triangle are pretty cool. I don't want to go too much into it, though. I feel like I've gone on a little bit. And there's also, believe it or not, there's also pe- like connections that people have made to Bigfoot. Yeah. Some people have thrown Bigfoot into this stuff to a degree, depending on the circle. Even Gray Barker talks about it in his book. They explain this other dimension that the Philadelphia experiment tapped into and the transient physical nature of the crew afterward is similar to how Bigfoot exists. You know, since there have allegedly been countless Bigfoot sightings over the years, but no one has ever found a body. I mean, there's tons of accounts of people shooting Bigfoots with hordes of bullets and not even a single drop of blood to be found in the area. Nothing. I mean, there's people who rage against this train of thought too and demand that Bigfoot is 3D physical just like a normal person. And it's an easy scapegoat to just say that Bigfoot's interdimensional, but it could also make sense at the same time. Theorists suggest that this world between worlds or this other dimension also explains ghosts and any phenomena like that too. It's a place where things can exist and not exist while essentially dipping their toes into our dimension. Personally, I like my imagination to entertain the idea that the dimension the crew got sucked into is like an in-between place, like a, like a train station where things can travel from one place to another. The dimension between dimensions. I just think that's a really cool idea. But to associate Bigfoot with the Philadelphia experiment seems somewhat like grasping at straws to me. But people do it, and I mean, come on. Concerning the stuff we're talking about, is it really that out there? Sure, we can let Bigfoot join the party. My interest in Bigfoot has always been low to moderate, but I do find it interesting. I do find cryptids interesting in general, for that matter. And you really gotta hand it to the people who have researched and compiled all this information. But um, one of the funniest things concerning this conspiracy theory is that up until Morris K. Jessup, the Philadelphia experiment was pretty much an urban legend. It was just like a, a legend that people whispered about. It was pretty much solely a military conspiracy theory that few on the outside were even aware of. It was not only thought of as a story to warn against the might of government going too far, but also the naive nature that many soldiers had in thinking the government had their well-being in mind at all. The military was carrying out many top-secret projects at the time that were known only in rumor to the rank and file. In modern times, they're much better at cover-ups and keeping secrecy and misinformation and whatnot. But back then, such projects were told in half-truths between service members top to bottom. But then Jessup wrote the book, the case for the UFO in 1955, and he started to shortly thereafter get letters from some pretty weird people. These letters were quote-unquote insiders who told him about the secret electromagnetic technology and Einstein working on secret Navy projects, similar to how he worked on the Manhattan Project for the atomic bomb. It's in these top secret correspondences 
that Morris K. Jessup was told about the notorious Philadelphia experiment, and it's from this point on, actually, that it kind of blew up and became famous. Sadly, though, within the span of a couple years into his research and compilation of information, he was murdered by clandestine forces. Or I guess assassinated would be a better term. Officially, they said that he died by suicide, but that's a bullshit cover-up. Nothing adds up in any coherent matter concerning the man's death. He had everything to live for. Everyone who knew him basically smelled something fishy, and about 99% of researchers have concluded that it was murder. In any case, the knowledge got out regardless, so at least his death was not in vain, and his research was well utilized in the research of others, such as the legendary Gray Barker. However, a lot of people researching this topic have actually had a lot of bad stuff happen to them, at least the big names. As far as I could find, not a single one of the original survivors is still alive, like I've already said. Or basically the original researchers that are famous for researching this topic, they're, they're not alive either, the original ones. But even creepier is that a lot of people involved in the early days of this stuff also died in mysterious or, I don't know, it seems like straight up assassination which is pretty creepy. And yes, there are some men in black accounts concerning people who've investigated the Philadelphia experiment. Gray Barker talks about them as being the enforcers of a united global club of elite, hell-bent on keeping all knowledge about such things outside of mainstream narratives, and nicely held under wraps. <laughs> I am summing that up pretty bluntly though, but I don't want to get into that just now, that's for next episode. I'm going to get into Al Belloc in uh, part two of this topic, who's basically the most famous alleged survivor who overcame brainwashing that I mentioned earlier briefly. But there's a decent number of people concerning the Philadelphia Experiment topic that have had some pretty bad things happen to them. And this is real world stuff, not lore. There is legitimately weird stuff going on surrounding the people who have brought this clandestine experiment into widespread form. Carlos Alonde is one of the big names on this topic, and I'll get him into him next episode. But he's allegedly one of the eyewitnesses of the experiment, and depending on which side of the coin you fall on, he's either reviled or somewhat revered. He's one of the original writers that wrote the letters to Morris K. Jessup about the experiment, the guy who was assassinated, and he's been put under a lot of scrutiny, and for good reason. Gray Barker wasn't really sure about him throughout a lot of his investigation, but eventually started to think that he was more and more legitimate as his research went on, to the point where eventually he was fully a believer of Carlos Alande. He's supposedly one of the people at the port in Virginia that saw the ship momentarily appear and then disappear, and he was permanently affected by the electromagnetic field. He's one of the people that would go into the freeze not the freeze, getting stuck, because I don't think he ever really vanished from reality. But I'll get more into him down the line. It will also be a lot of fun to get into the alleged time traveler, Al Bellic, who's hated by skeptics almost as much as Carlos Alande, who basically just say that all these people are nuts. As you can see, this rabbit hole is pretty fun to go down, and I look forward to meeting with you next time to continue it. 
As always, I enjoy the work of Gray Barker, but damn, this whole thing must have been a mess to try and assemble. I mean, when interviewing people and gathering research, he had to constantly be on guard and on the lookout for nut jobs and charlatans, a too commonplace factor in these types of topics. There's a lot of people out there so desperate to feel important that they'll say anything. And if you add on emotional or mental instability on top of that, it only gets worse. But back then, you gotta... You gotta question if the person feeding you information is also a possible government plant, which is also sadly incredibly common. So for the most part, what Gray has put together in his research is probably the only, if some of the only sources concerning the Philadelphia Project that's got any slivers of truth hidden in it somewhere. When I first started researching this topic, my bullshit detector was going off hard. There's a lot of woo out there on this topic and, you know, this stuff that you just gotta disregard, if, especially if it just makes you cringe reading it. But there's also some juicy, fascinating stuff once you get through the weeds. Gray Barker... For this episode, Gray Barker was basically the biggest influence on my research, but I still got two more books to go through. One of them's only half done. You know, and then there's the time travel stuff, which reminds me a lot of fiction I've consumed over the years, with one of these guys who jumped overboard during the teleportation of the ship getting transported to the future and then picked up by people of the Montauk project that I mentioned in the intro. I think it was the intro. Anyway, yet I'll... I'll get more into that stuff in the next episode on this topic because it's just too much to cram into a single show and still got a lot more research to do. Because we also got alien involvement in all this. Survivors saying that sources stated that aliens out there have, they already have this time travel technology and interstellar transportation. It stated that when the Philadelphia experiment went down, or Project Rainbow. I should say that more often because a lot of the information refers to the Philadelphia experiment as Project Rainbow. But anyway, it opened up a hole in space-time that actually allowed these ET races access to our planet, timeline, and interdimensional passage, essentially. Before that, aliens like the Greys had no access to us. And it's, uh, it's this aspect of the lore that I find probably more fascinating than any of the other stuff. Does that mean that no aliens had access to us before 1943? No. It also wouldn't matter, because like I said, they have time travel technology. They can not only, according to this lore, they can not only transfer themselves like throughout space-time, throughout the entire universe, as a form of space travel, but they can also time travel kind of mind-boggling stuff. Once the door was opened for them, they could come and go at any moment in our history, essentially. Which is pretty unique when compared to other lore in the UFO phenomenon I've researched. Or ufology in general, I guess. Allegedly, the Greys, when they did first come over, they wanted a deal. And one of the US presidents went along with it. Originally, the deal was non-interference. was a non-interference agreement which both sides signed and agreed to, but also to help build and allow them some bases and give them the, I don't wanna say right, uh, give them the okay, I guess, to abduct civilians in exchange for technology, but only a certain amount of civilians. According to Al Bellic, 
There is a massive underground transportation for these aliens, and actually up to a million who at this present moment live on the planet under the ground. However, many in the UFO phenomenon community think that this treaty or deal may have expired with the decline of all the gray alien abductions over the past two decades, I think. Like, you don't really hear about it nearly as much anymore. However, my favorite part of the Philadelphia experiment is the description of the sailors going into the other dimension. The most terrifying accounts are the things that live in between the world between worlds. They're like, uh... They're like eldritch horrors that interacted with some of the crew during their original experiment. It's very Cthulhu mythos and cosmic horror, but I want to save the rest of the alien stuff for part two concerning the Philadelphia experiment. And, um, yeah, well, I'll see you then. That's all for today's episode. Do you think the Philadelphia experiment could have been real? In any case, don't believe anything you hear and only believe half of what you see. We'll get into the nitty gritty and people supposedly involved in the experiment next next episode on this topic. Cryptic Chronicles is available on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and basically all podcast hubs. You look for us and we're there. If you can, make sure to like and comment or review wherever you hear this content. If you enjoy Cryptic Chronicles even in the slightest, then please help out by leaving a like, comment, share, anything. The interaction makes algorithms like the episode and will help spread it, which in turn helps the show grow. So please review, comment, share, like, it all helps. Though the show is free to listen to, the cost to produce it is substantial. But by pleasing the gods of the algorithm, you are doing more than your fair share. And if you really, really like Cryptic Chronicles and you happen to be awesome, then support the show on Patreon. For just a dollar, you can unlock full uncensored shows with no ads or anything like that. You'll get access to exclusive podcast episodes, get them super duper early, or depending on the pledge, you just get whatever, all kinds of other cool, awesome stuff, including uh, joining the Discord channel. Just go to CrypticChronicles.com and at the top, click on the Chronicler's Vault. It's a link to Patreon, so you'll be good to go. Or just go to Patreon slash Cryptic Chronicles. It really means a lot to me, and thank you. And speaking of awesome, I'd like to thank my current patrons, MJ Calvo, Adrian, John, Celestial Weavers, Alien X, Lorna Grubb, Paul, Linda Gonzalez, Angela Delaire, Ashley, Brad Herbert, Lawrence Lee, Patricia Coles, Kayla, Max, Michael Worrell, and Jimmy Woods. Thanks for supporting Cryptic Chronicles, but most of all, thanks for listening. And as one of the greatest poets who ever lived once said, 
All that we see or seem is but a dream within a dream.